Welcome to Ed's Edge, the podcast to help you live the life you've always wanted. I want to give you an edge, a financial edge. I'm Ed Meek. I'm a financial advisor with a passion to help you retire early, save more, and live better. It's often the little things, small behaviors, that can change our lives. That's the power of a financial edge. So what do you think of when I say financial consultant, wealth manager, money manager, investment manager, financial advisor, financial planner, all words that have been used to describe me, sometimes appropriately, sometimes not. What we wanted to do today was kind of clear some of the weeds out and help people fully understand what these mean and what to look for when you need help when it comes to various areas of your financial life. James, what's going on? Well, that's a wide open question, but uh, let me think back to what's going on. So uh, I guess last time we spoke, I had mentioned to you all that uh, I bought my son a fish tank. Well, we had to step, step it up a notch. And just yesterday, we took Theo to the Shed Aquarium. And uh, let's just say the kid in the candy store type uh, analogy held true for him. He was giddy. He fell asleep in the car ride home despite all of our efforts to keep him awake so he could sleep in his crib. Um, Kid was having a ball. So uh, that was a very good time, and uh, uh, wife was happy as well. Wait wait a minute. minute. I thought you were going to tell me another fish story from last week. Oh, when he actually tried to go fishing? Tried? What do you mean? I thought you did go fi- Didn't you take him fishing? Well, we did. Uh, I caught a very small fish, and Theo thought it was the size of a shark because he was, a little, he was a scared of a seven-inch long fish. It wasn't even seven inches. Yeah, it probably thing was, was like, like four. four. Right, it was right. like one of those little bluegill or something, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have a picture of it. Scared, uh, but he wasn't scared of the shed. He loved it. Yeah, and that's because there's a big piece of glass in the way, and uh, he doesn't feel scared, so I get it. I actually have a similar story. So my daughter, who now is almost 26, I had a similar uh, experience. So it was years ago. She was probably maybe four at the time, and we went fishing. My dad used to take me fishing all the time when I was growing up, and uh, I grew up in St. Charles. And there's a place out down Kirk Road called Fermilab. A lot of people have heard of it. But at one time, it wasn't uh, – it was wide open, and you could just go in there. There's a pond in front of the big building, and my dad and I would fish. And uh, we would just catch the, some of the smaller ones and sometimes bullhead. And so I, I took Taylor there fi- thinking, you know, there's a pretty good chance we'll catch something. And on the way there, she told me, and when we got out, she said, Dad, um, I just want to make sure that, you know, because I had said something like, uh, I really hope that we catch some big fish. She goes, Dad, no, I don't want to catch any big fish. And because uh, she was, I guess, scared of them. And we were fishing for the little ones, but a big one actually happened to, we happened to start catching one and I got excited and I said, it's a big one, Taylor. It's a big one. And she started screaming and running away with her arms up in the air. So, uh, we got to So how big was it? It wasn't even that big, but it was like six inches, seven inches long, but compared to all the little ones, you know, (laughs) in her mind, this was scary. You know, it was more the idea that it was big. 
you yeah. know, I don't even know if she actually saw it. She just ran away when she heard big. <laughs> so anyways, but it's fun taking them, taking well, them to these places. Contrary to our children, uh, most people want us as financial advisors to catch the big fish, don't they? That's right. Yeah, they do. That's quite the lead in, isn't it? <laughs> quite the lead into this. Um, so when people do come to us or at least think about what we do, uh, it's kind of falls into two camps sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. So all those all those words, those titles you had said earlier, uh, I agree. I think it falls into two different categories. Um, I'll use the words which you you said earlier, but I'll use the words money manager, and then investment advisor. So you, if you are advising in some way in this world. Um, you're probably one into the two. There's plenty of exceptions, but we'll, we'll, for simplistic terms, you're, you're into one of the two, either a straight money manager or you're a full force financial advisor. And many, ha- many believe that uh, a financial advisor is a money manager in and of itself, but that's nothing's further from the truth. And so what we want to do is clarify some of this today. Definitely, yeah. I mean, let's just even, if we just go back into history a little bit, I got involved in the industry in the early 90s. And at that period of time, we definitely, I think, you know, I was called a financial consultant when I worked at Fidelity Investments. But it was pretty common for people back then to even like when they would come in, they'd call me a broker uh, or they would think of me as a broker. And and we kind of, that was really the period of time in that decade when brokers became less and less I wouldn't say popular, just not as much in use. And the reason is because probably starting in the 70s and 80s, what happened was the brokers were the ones who brought the common man investments, primarily buying stocks and individual stocks and individual bonds for them. And the way that they would make money is they would get a commission for selling these. And in fact, uh, the commissions on buying and selling stocks were exorbitantly high when we look back. I mean, uh, this was many years ago, and sometimes people would tra- pay $25, $50, $100, for trading one stock of thousands of dollars. And so if you just did a kind of percentage of how much they were trading, it was huge. And the reason why was because the brokers would get paid a, a nice piece of that. They would personally benefit. So what that did was it encouraged the brokers to make a lot of moves so they could generate more money. And uh, and so we have moved so far away. In fact, that almost doesn't even exist anymore, at least when it comes to individual stocks. There's some other products that fin- some financial uh, consultants, advisors who, who get commissions will sometimes get paid through mutual funds or annuities, things of that nature. And I'm not saying those are necessarily bad, but that's kind of the modern day version of that. Well, now in today in today's world, we know that fees are a big deal and people know that you can get a lot of investment products in different ways. And so that's kind of like what you said, a, a money manager or investment manager would be someone that you might outsource or hire to pick your investments, and specifically just do that. They might provide some other services, but their area of expertise might be that. Yeah. And, you know, if you uh, back in the history lesson that you just mentioned, when I think of broker, they are the people who just connect you to the stock market. You couldn't buy stock without a broker. 
back in the day. That's right. And the bond market, but mostly stock market, right? Yeah. yeah. Because bonds were the same way. They get paid a big commission on buying and selling bonds for people too. But that just doesn't exist as much anymore. Yeah, and it, now with it being so easy to buy and sell, uh, you know, most of the the services, the Fidelities, the TD Ameritrade, Schwab, Robinhood, all those Vanguard, you know, a lot of big companies. Yep. Yep, it's all free to to buy and sell. And so now the the next big thing that that big fish is, I want to find someone who can pick the perfect investments and and not be wrong, and you know, time the market, which we've all talked about in the past, is next to impossible to do. Um, but the, there's a perception that if I have the word financial advisor, that's my thing. And and there's uh, what we want to talk about today is all the other areas, including investments, mind you, that uh, are much more controllable and can make a much bigger impact than what you might have in your head. So let's get started. So what what we're going to explain to you today is we'll use the term financial advisor. You can you can plug in uh, a couple other terms if you want, like a financial uh, planner, but financial advisor, it's a comprehensive, holistic uh, individual that provides financial planning in a fiduciary way. That's that's really what we're going to be explaining. Someone who is comprehensive um, and encompasses all of these areas. And so I'm going to dive right in. There's really five areas that we focus on when we tell people, if you if you do a good job of of blanketing these areas yeah, for your personal situation or have somebody help you do that, um, you're going to be in great, great shape. And we've talked about numerous areas of these in the past, but the first one is investment planning. So it's five areas of planning. The first one's investment planning. And, and this one is kind of the one that a lot of times people think this is what we're area of expertise is and kind of talk to us. You know, if I'm out and about, I'll oftentimes get you know, people, you know, a few months ago it was the GameStop thing and now it's the Bitcoin thing and now it's this and that or Tesla. And, and those are all fine and good. But one needs to understand that when it comes to investment planning over the long run, what generally tends to work out a majority of the time is a diversified investment portfolio. And what I mean by that is not necessarily just in one particular area, like just big companies in the United States or technology companies in the United States. And the reason is because everything kind of takes its turn doing well. Right now, everybody thinks it's just technology companies. If I just invest in technology companies for a long, long time, I'm going to be in good shape. Well, that's not going to be the case. It just never is. One of the things I like to point out that majority of people, especially people do it on their own, what they don't really take into account is um, proper investments in, in stocks internationally. Let me just read to you a few periods of time where there's this massive, massive difference in, in investments outside the United States versus inside the United States. More recently, from December of 2007, right before the bubble, uh, not the bubble, but right before the credit crisis happened, and in 2008 and 9 when the stock market got demolished, you know, went down um, 57% over about 18 months. During that time and since then, U.S. large company stocks have grown an average of about 7.6% a year. International stocks over the exact same period of time, large company international stocks that are similar to the big companies here, but outside the United States, they're only up barely a percent. There's a six and a half percent difference. And so uh, most people own mostly U.S. large company stocks. 
because that's what they're familiar with. They see it, they understand it. Well, actually, when I go back period of time right before that, March 1st of uh, 2001 through that December of 07 that I just told you, that period of time, the U.S. only averaged not quite 5% a year and international was up over 11% a year. So the international outperformed by over 6% during that period of time. And then more recently, in the last you know, 13 years, the U.S. has outperformed. It's actually good to own some, some of both. A lot of people don't realize that. Why am I using this example? I'm doing it primarily to point out that a lot of people don't understand they're not properly diversified. And a lot of times they don't even know. And so therefore, they're kind of ignorant to the fact that that if they were more diversified, they'd be in better shape. One of the charts that we like to show people is a chart that shows if you lose, and I think I might have mentioned this in the past, like 10%, you got to gain 12% to catch back up. But if you lose, for example, if you have $100,000 invested and it goes down to 50, you lose 50%, which happens. It's happened uh, recently over the last couple of bear markets, over 50%. You, you have to go from 50,000 to 100. That's a 100% rate of return. I could get the same rate of return as you, James, over a long period of time, and I could have a lot more money. And most people don't understand the math behind that. And the reason is because I may not make is nearly as much in good years, but I don't lose as much in bad years. And it doesn't take me as long to catch back up. And this all has to do with structuring your investments and you're doing your investment planning the right way. You know, we the last couple episodes, we talked about our money minds, right? And one of the concepts there was, was FOMO, fear of missing out. Well, when we're caught up in the emotions, and especially this last, what, 18 months of chaos and then excitement and then concern and risk and reward and everything in between. You know, it's, it's been a wild year, but we tend to, to miss the math again. We tend to miss what our goals are, what our objectives are. Case in point, this last month, the market has been a little choppy. And in those last, last week and a half or so, and again, we're, we're recording this, um, you know, mid-May here, so it's May 19th today. Um, the last couple of weeks have been uh, more down than up. And if that bothered you with what your investments are in today, you're, you are taking on too much risk. That's a fact. If, that, if these last couple of weeks bothered you, you got concerned, you need to reevaluate risk tolerance. Or the other option would be you, you need to fully understand that you're thinking and being affected so short term where a lot of these investments you have for great investments, it just takes a little while. You got to let them play themselves out. I tell people. If you believe in the economy, if you believe in the United States, if you believe kind of that the world will continue to grow over longer periods of time, at least five, more like 10, 20 years, then the stock market's going to go up. But over a short period of time, it's a total flip of the coin. It's a total guess. You, and we know you just you just can't time it. There's, ver there's really very few, if anybody who over a long period of time has ever done that. The last thing I wanted to do when it comes to this investment planning piece is you know, most people are familiar with kind of the term the stock market and owning stocks and all that. Well, there's there's the stock market, there's the bond market we've mentioned before, and those are the two main linchpins that people should have as their core core investments primarily. Some people will invest in real estate if you're an, if you're an expert or you know how to access that in a particular way. We can in some ways, but some people, if you want to buy them individually or get into investment programs that are going to buy some, in, you know, either houses or commercial buildings or whatever, it's a whole nother ball game. Not as many people are in that. But then the last area is the area that is becoming more and more pronounced 
One is we all keep hearing about cryptocurrency. I'm not making any kind of judgment call on cryptocurrency. It could end up being something that, and it has been recently growing, 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 growing just recently. But today, um, Elon Musk came out with something and he, he, I think it had to do with his concerns with uh, what they've been talking about. There's a lot of energy it takes yep. to, in order to, uh, in order to uh, run mine and run the systems and all that. And so because of that, um, this morning, I think Bitcoin was down over uh, 20 or 30%. It's down like 11 right now. But from its peak in the, you know, where it was at, I don't know, a month or so ago, it's down 40% right now. Um, very, very volatile. Again, I'm not making a judgment call on it. Um, it could be something that that could be appropriate for people, but that should not be a staple, a big piece of your portfolio, in our opinion, because it's such a potential risky thing that could be great or terrible. Just like uh, other commodity investments, oil, or um, I just read, you know, lumber. I don't know if everybody's heard, but, you know, if anybody's building a house or putting an addition on, it's extremely expensive right now. I mean, two by fours supposedly are costing three times what they were costing a year ago or something. But lumber is crazy. And so um, all of these other investments might have a place in somebody's portfolio, but we call those more satellite investments uh, that you should have. And you should build your portfolio with more solid stock and bond investments, depending on your situation. So take all those things into account, small companies, big companies, international stocks, all of those things are super important. And most people aren't familiar with a lot of them. So what they do is they just buy the few things they are familiar with. And, uh, and over the long run, it actually can, uh, you don't even realize it, but you might be able to retire a couple of years earlier if you just have the right kind of investment program. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about the core versus the satellite, you know, the, the best way to explain that uh, for those listening is those core investments are money that, frankly, we cannot afford to make a mistake on. Uh, the satellite investments are ones where, yes, we certainly don't want to make a mistake, but if, if one or two goes wrong, goes haywire, we're not drastically affected. And, and when you think about your investments, uh, think about it in those terms. That should help with the decisions you make, the stocks and bonds and, and other exciting things. And cannot stress enough, try not to get caught up in the game. Pay attention to that end result, where you're, where you're going. So with that, you know, that is the investment planning, um, which is there's a lot to it. Um, but it's not the only piece of financial planning, financial advising. It's one of five pillars. You talked about those pillars. And I, when, you, when you mentioned that, Ed, I think about you know, legs on a stool. You know, there's three, mm -hmm. four legs on a stool. We'll call this one five legs. Yep. And and without any of, without one of them, the stool gets a little wobbly. And so we need to make sure that all five are being addressed. And and that's when you have a, a sound plan. And so number two on the list is tax planning. I think of the common quote, and and forgive me who said this. I can't recall who it was, but he he said, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. And, uh, you know, with taxes, uh, we can shoot for those home runs and returns and, and take on way too much risk. And even if it does work out, we're getting crushed on taxes because we didn't put it in the right account. Or we're taking on too much income in, the, in certain accounts. You know, we didn't look at itemizing versus standard deduction. All these tax rules, which I won't get into. I know it's, there's a lot to them. But you got to make sure that you're, you're understanding your own tax situation and how it changes, especially when you retire. It's a game changer. It's yeah, I mean, you, we've changer. talked about this in in other podcasts. Example, like just owning the stocks and the bonds in the right kind of investments 
could save you hundreds and thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars a year in taxes. Just doing it, you could own, you and I could own the same exact investments, but if you own it in a in a certain way and I own it in a certain way, it can make a massive difference. You know, there's that, and then and then there's uh, you know, we've talked about Roth IRAs, which are tax free. They're super super attractive in many situations. How do I get how do I get my money? How do people get their money into these? You know, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. The more we can get in there in a tax efficient way, the better off you're going to be in the long run because those Roth IRAs are tax free. It's not always easy. It's not always great. You can't always make, you know, put everybody's money into them. But the more we can do, it can be huge, huge uh, down the road. Nothing, no better feeling than seeing growth and that growth you don't have to pay taxes on. Right, right. So, you know, tax loss harvesting, we've talked about that, distribution strategies, all these things that relate to taxes and making sure that we're, we're not paying more than our fair share, right? We have to pay our fair share. We follow the rules, but let's not overpay. And, and the nice part about taxes is, is we have some control on that. Unlike the stock market, where no matter how many phone calls you and I try to make, uh, we can't make the market go up anymore. Uh, we can help on the tax front. You, yeah. Yeah. In a huge way, oftentimes. I mean, there's some tax programs that we're able to help people with. Again, well, first of all, we're not accountants, but when it comes to investments and trying to create the most tax efficient situation, we're experts in that area. And we often work hand in hand with our clients' accountants, right? And, uh, and so, in fact, we love to. We actually try to get everybody's accountants' contact information. Sometimes we'll We'll go back and forth and say, "Hey, you know, I think you you're even you even have that. You just told me today uh, on one, didn't you? When, yeah. When it yeah. came, you have a you have a client that's in a Roth IRA, and because she thought it was tax free, she should take all her money out of that first, right? Yeah. She has three different accounts. She's got the standard taxable account, individual trading account, call it investment account. She's got the traditional IRA and the Roth IRA. And her initial goal in her mind was, I want to take out money tax free. And so the only account that's tax-free is the Roth in her head. And so let's take all the money out of the Roth. Well, well and, and on face value, if you just, it kind of makes sense. It, like you'd think like blame if her it's tax-free, right? Yeah, I, don't, I do not blame her at all for thinking that. Um, but when you look at the big picture and after talking with her accountant, she's able to take enough standard deduction and she has enough other deductions where she can actually take money out of the traditional IRA, which is tax-deferred and then taxable entirely after she takes it out. She can still take some out and not pay any taxes on that, which is pretty powerful stuff. And really what that does is it creates a, our goal, your goal out there, my goal, James's goal, everybody's goal is to make the pot of money as big as possible and have it grow and keep it as big as possible. And taxes are huge when it comes to that. If you pull money out of that Roth IRA early, then you don't allow investments to grow in that in a tax-free way. And so there's just certain, oftentimes it's really rare to actually have, you know, pull that money out early. So it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but, but really a big deal. Yep. And, and worth noting again, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Yeah, exactly. Well, the third one is, it's the redhead stepchild. It's the it's the area of planning that people don't usually bring up to us. They don't even think about it. They also don't really like to deal with it too much, it's truthfully. Not, it's not fun. It's not sexy. We've already talked about it in the past. And the reason is, is because 
It's the big I word, the I word, the insurance word or risk planning. There's a lot of areas of insurance. We know that we have to have insurance in some areas. We have to have car insurance if you have a car. You have to have homeowner's insurance. There's some areas of insurance you know you should have. You may, you may not. But these are all super important. Why I say that is because I will tell people, here's the deal. I'm trying to help your pot grow as big as possible by having the right investments, the taxes, the right distributions when you retire, yada, yada. But if you don't have your insurance planning, your risk management piece down, and for some reason, one of a number of events happens, then your pot of gold goes down or goes bye-bye. And I tell people, is this really something, obviously something you don't want? And a, a few of the key areas are, um, the first big one is, Almost everybody should have what's called disability insurance, and, all, and most people don't. Unless you work for a big company or if you've worked with a financial advisor who's encouraged you uh, to get it, you oftentimes don't. I'm going to give you an example. I have a client I've been working with for a while. He makes a really good amount of money. It's a bit of a volatile um, uh, industry that he works in. So some some years he makes- high, sometimes income yeah, low, other years. Yeah, I mean, he's never low. He always makes good money, but- it's always an amount of money that uh, if for some reason, if he got disabled in any way, it would all go away. And they live a lifestyle in a way where they're used to living off of a good amount of that. And then when he has huge years, you know, he invests more. But if he ever got disabled, it would complete, they would have to sell their house, four children, and everything changes. And so we need to make sure that we protect him and we've been I've been trying for a few years, and now I think we're close to, to getting that set up. There's life insurance. The example for that, for me right now, I mean, I've been having this conversation with many people. My daughter, who I talked about, about the fish, she's now married. She's now pregnant with my second grandson, which is awesome. And I'm having the conversation. We're in the middle of getting my son-in-law and her some insurance because if something happens to one of them, they're both in a world of hurt. And at their age, it's super inexpensive. Uh, another area that if people can afford it that they want to strongly look at is long-term care insurance. People, when they get sick and they get older, it's extremely expensive to be taken care of. And that insurance can really, really help so somebody's pot of money will not get depleted completely. And that's something you and I have seen many, many times. I, I have numerous clients right now who didn't have it, who are older, and they need a lot of care. And they're just taking out large chunks of money from from that. And now it's unfortunate they're not going to be able to leave the legacy they wanted to, to, to their kids. And not everybody wants to do that, but they did. And now they're not going to be able to do that. So I think we need to take a step back, though. Uh, most of us haven't heard of this just yet, but Ed mentioned amongst that passing that he is going to be a grandpa. Oh, yes, that's correct. Number two. Yeah, it's right. Super excited. So very exciting. When's the due date? Uh, and in November, the way I found out was, it was about a month ago, um, what happened was my grandson was there. My daughter came, it was around my birthday. Um, they came, they came in the door. Of, uh, I tried grabbing him right when he got in and he was on the ground and he's not quite walking yet. He's almost one, but he loves crawling. It's much easier. You know, the whole walking thing, <laughs> you know, is a pain for them. So he, he was crawling around. He's so cute. We were all looking at him and I said to him, I had no idea on anything. I said, you know, you better really enjoy all this attention because 
future, you're not going to have that because I knew that, you know, my daughter and son-in-law and there's going to be other grandkids hopefully uh, in the future. And she said, dad, he looks really hot. Unzipper his coat. So I had, uh, I un- unzipped the coat and his t-shirt said big brother. <laughs> so, uh, and she it wasn't the TV show. No, uh, uh, no. She made that t-shirt specifically to do that for me. So <laughs> That's that neat. was super exciting. What a great way, you know, to find out, but yeah. So, so yeah, just the overall area of insurance planning, risk planning, you know, it's just important to be super careful. Uh, another area is, uh, something called an umbrella policy. You, I think I might even mention that in the past. That is super important to have because it'll protect you in case you get sued, a car accident, something happens at your home. And if you lose that lawsuit and you don't have enough insurance, then you got to write a check out of your portfolio and you don't want to do that because then it screws up your retirement plan. So think about car insurance for a minute. We all have it and we hate paying it. And uh, most of us have gotten into one accident probably in our life, whether it's minor or major, there's, there's been accidents. And you, you think to yourself, man, I'm glad I had insurance at that time. Think about that exact example. Multiply that, that catastrophe times your entire net worth. That's what we're talking about with insurance, is you want to avoid that big, big catastrophe. I haven't had a client specifically tell me that's happened to them yet, but I had a friend, one of my best friend's daughter, a few years ago was driving and um, her brother was in the front seat with her, and they had car insurance, which was great. And she said to her dad, she bumped, she ran into the car in front of them. And she said, I, I probably wasn't going more than a couple miles an hour. I, it was barely anything. And the woman got out that was in front and said, uh, you know, everything's fine. Don't worry or whatever. Well, a month later, lawsuit. I mean, she's suing. She says her whole neck was screwed up. They did a little investigation. This woman has sued and won two lawsuits for oh injuries and car accidents. And what they believe happened was she actually will stop suddenly in front of people on purpose and try to collect. That's how she tries to get money. So I'm, I'm not saying most people are going to do that. But even if you, she was suing originally, it was thrown out, but for a million dollars. And he was covered up to 300000 or 350000 If he lost... He would have to, and he didn't. He didn't. He's a pastor. He he didn't even have that money. So we just want to protect that, those crazy extreme examples. Yep, couldn't couldn't agree more. Fourth area is retirement uh, planning. This is an area that we work on a lot, right? Yeah, this is a big one, right? So uh, we got investments, tax, insurance, and now retirement planning. So a lot of people ask, well, what's the difference between investment planning and retirement planning? We've touched on this a little bit on tax as well, but retirement planning is making sure, in in short, if nothing else, you think about retirement, think about this, making sure your money lasts your lifetime and making sure everything you want to do in retirement is taken care of with the money that you have in place, with the help of someone who, who knows about it. That's retirement planning in a nutshell. What's involved with it, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies. Uh, One of the main strategies that most of us will understand uh, just by these words is consistency in your investment returns is so much more important than trying to hit home runs once you take income from your portfolio. Once you turn on that faucet, which we've talked about in prior podcast episodes, Um, consistency is so critical. And running the numbers and figuring out longevity of life, all that fun stuff, 
Um, that's what we get passionate about. I know many many out there do not. It's not their cup of tea. And if it's not, make sure you have someone to help you there. But that's retirement planning is making sure your money lasts, having that peace of mind, living the life you want to live. Um, that's retirement. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, just as you're explaining that, and I was just thinking about the three that we talked about before, and these are all like, there's like a web. They're all like a web. They're all so interconnected because um, the retirement planning is not unto itself. It's finding the right investments with the right kind of tax strategies in order to grow the pot so then we can get the pot as big as possible at the right time and then distribute it in the most tax efficient way, right? And all of these things are are connected. You know, I, I think of this, uh, we all have heard, well, many of us have heard of Dave Ramsey and his philosophies. And he has one really interesting comment where he says, you know, 94% of millionaires didn't inherit their wealth, right? I would argue 94% of retirees didn't hit it big on one stock. Well, yeah, but even it's greater than that. I'm almost, it's, I'm probably, yeah. right? I don't know what the percentage is, but a majority of the time, it's the millionaire next door who implemented at least some of the stuff we're talking about in, in a certain way and let time. it grow and compound. And, you know, um, you know, I know I was just talking to you about this the other day, you know, one of your clients is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an older woman whose husband had invested in the stocks many, many years ago. She's in her nineties now and she has quite a large amount of money. And the main reason is, is because it just keeps growing and they haven't done way better than the stock market. But if you just let it compound and grow and you and diversify what we're saying, it makes a big difference. Yep. Makes makes time on your side. So that's retirement planning. And we've got we've got the fifth fifth leg. Yeah, the, of the last story. one, uh, which isn't very sexy either, but uh it's the one that kind of helps people, you know, connect everything, but also decide what am I gonna do with this? You know, we'll ask questions of people, oftentimes they'll be like, hey, am I going to have enough so I don't run out and I'm fearful of all that. But sometimes people are also, they have a goal of, I'd really like to leave this, whatever's left, some kind of legacy to usually heirs, but sometimes even charities. And uh, people will hear the term estate planning. They don't always know exactly what it means, but but really what it is, is this idea of making sure you have a will and or potentially a trust and things set up in a way so you're so your all of your investments your house anything that you own that has value is distributed in a proper way upon your passing first if you're married from one spouse to the other in the most tax efficient way and then and then lastly once the second person has passed on are you leaving it to who you want in the way you want. Most of the time, people will leave it directly outright. The most common is right to children. Sometimes they don't want the children to get it outright, so they set it up in a way where they can get it over a period of time. Sometimes people want to leave it to charities. All of these things, there's no right or wrong answers when it comes to this, but it's super important to have this in place. And truthfully, you and I both know, we come across many people who either have super old wills or they don't have a trust that says things the way they want. They actually sometimes miss having a child in there because they set it up before another one was born. And this is something that you want to make sure you revisit from time to time. Even if you've done it, 
we probably say at least every three to five years, kind of revisit it. And now you're probably going to want to revisit again in the next year or two. The new administration and the government um, is going to change a lot of estate planning laws coming up that are going to make it a lot different. And so you want to make sure you probably revisit what your documents say and even potentially talk to your estate planning attorney and or financial advisor. I mean, many financial advisors understand this. Uh, we're, we're an example. We, we certainly don't draw up the documents, but but we do understand how these things work and does it flow and work the right way. And we even have software and things that can read through your documents and tell you and summarize how it all spells out. Yeah, what we tell what we tell our clients is uh, your job is to decide exactly how you want your money to be distributed on inheritance. That's it. Keep it simple. Decide exactly what you want to have happen when, God forbid, you pass away. When you go to the great beyond, one of my clients would say. So <laughs> thank you, Sue, on that. Um, so once you have that decision, we go back to the drawing board and figure out the best way to implement that. Um, and you got to revisit it because life changes. So, okay, so these, this is really big picture. I, we didn't cover everything super comprehensively, but I know this one might be slightly longer podcast. We just thought, think all of these areas are something you, you need to be very familiar with and make sure you're doing on your own or getting help help with. A lot of times people will come to us and be like, well, how's your performance versus, you know, how's your performance? Can you show us? Well, we can, we can do that and our performance has been good. But uh, I oftentimes I tell people, you know, this idea of investing in the investment planning piece, you definitely want to make sure somebody's not, you know, not, you know, doing a good job, but you want to make sure all those other things are in place as well. And and you got and if you're going to compare like people's returns, you got to make sure it's a fair comparison because you know, most of our clients want a diversified portfolio, want to have the right amount in stocks, bonds, international, and you're going to have to compare that to something in an appropriate way. So that's usually not the best way to see what we just talked about what a, a really comprehensive financial advisor does. And that's only one small piece. All these other pieces, if I can save you a ton of money on taxes, then no financial advisor who's bad at that area but good at investments is going to be able to keep up because you're going to pay so much in taxes. So we want to make sure that that is the focus. Is your advisor or are you personally doing all of these things in a very comprehensive way then you're then you're doing a good job. And if not, that's what you want to gauge somebody on. Yeah. Yeah, so what, one perfect example on on mistakes on grading even your own performance or another advisor's performance or what have you. Last year, so if if you're a person who loves dividend paying stocks, let's let's just say you're you're in that that ballpark. Last year, you were probably very unhappy with your performance relatively speaking. And if you were a growth investor last year, and you held, mind you, you held through COVID, um, you were probably very happy. This year, almost the opposite has happened, where you're dividend-paying stock, you look like a genius, you're a growth investor, you look like you don't know what you're doing. In reality, both are important. Both have a piece or big pieces to the performance puzzle. Um, but you can't compare apples and oranges. You got to make sure it's a level playing field. So uh, I think that's well said. And, you know, I would say... Uh, and, and forgive me all advisors listening here, I would say if, you sh if there's one reason to be unhappy with your financial advisor, 
It's if they are giving you poor planning advice. The things that we talked about there that you can control, if they're telling you, giving you bad advice or not giving you any advice in these areas at all, that's when you're being underserved. And that's when you should start exploring. Definitely, yeah. It, there's, there's a study that's been done actually by a couple of really big companies. Uh, one, the most common one that people are familiar with the name would be Vanguard. Vanguard Investments is known as the premier and one of the top most inexpensive index ETF companies. And they focus on making sure people don't pay much in fees. Low-cost company, definitely. Now, they also have put out a study, and they've updated a couple of times over the years, that specifically says how valuable a financial advisor, like what we're talking about today, can be. If a financial advisor actually does all the things we just talked about in an appropriate way, sometimes they can provide up to 2 to 3% a year better in returns when they can save money on taxes here, not lose as much money when the market goes down because you own investments that are doing better here, things of that nature. So I'm not going to go into major detail, and I'm not going to say specifically that every advisor is going to do that. But I am telling you, if you do all of these things well, it does make a big difference. We're talking years, one, two, three years maybe, quicker you can retire if you do these things right. That's why we think this is so important to talk about. Definitely worth reemphasizing. And um, we hope you found this, this very helpful and in all these areas that we covered. So with that being said, uh, Ed, we were talking about breakfast earlier. I know it's, we were. it's I, uh, 3 o'clock today, but we we're talking about breakfast. Well, I would say probably the first meals I was cooking uh, growing up, because I always loved cooking even when I was a kid, was various forms of breakfast, pancakes and, and eggs and things of that nature. It probably besides the milkshakes I've talked about in the past, which I'm probably most famous for, the other version is uh, breakfast. Uh, and so I'm a big fan of omelets. I will tell you, uh, I go probably on average once a week out to breakfast with people, uh, contacts, friends, things of that nature. And so I know all the breakfast places around, and there's one that's above and beyond, unparalleled in my opinion. Uh, there's two two of these. One's in Geneva. The other one is in Naperville, Illinois. It's called Buttermilk. And I know you know, James, of one of them, right? That's near you, where you live in, in Naperville, right? Yeah, that the one in, on Freedom Drive in Naperville, I think it opened up probably a year and a half, two years ago. And since then, we've, well, maybe it's maybe it's been close to three, three years ago. But we, uh, we've been there at least 25 times. Th- their omelets are incredible. Uh, if you, I'm sure people hopefully have had really good scrambled eggs, but if you cook an omelet appropriately, the eggs are just so good and they have a lot of good choices. So the omelets are amazing. And then the other thing that's amazing is one of my buddies, that's I always meet him every other time in Geneva at Buttermilk. He has eight children and he introduced me to their biscuits. They're these biscuits with honey on them on the top. And uh, they're not good for you, but they're incredible biscuits. And so I found out his kids liked them. So I started buying like a half a dozen or a dozen of these biscuits and I'd always send them home. And most of his children I haven't even met, but they know me as the biscuit guy. And, and so anyways, I would encourage anybody who wants to have an incredible breakfast, either in the Geneva or Naperville area to hit buttermilk. And they're not paying me for this. <laughs> they should, but they're not. 
Well, good. Great stuff. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We, we hope you found it very helpful. And with that, I think we'll sign off. Yeah. See you guys next time. I have been slapped on my hand one too many times by my compliance attorney. This is to put me in good standing. This podcast represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time, should not be relied upon as investment advice, and is not intended to predict or depict performance of any investment. Any specific recommendations or comparisons that are made as to particular securities or strategies are for illustrative purposes only and are not meant as investment advice for any viewer.